You are listening to Sing Amen, Ministering Through Music. I am Jennifer Kerr-Budziak, and welcome to our podcast. Hold fast to my word, let the gospel truth enfold you. Hold fast to my love, let your heart be steeped in to my law, let the Spirit sway your footsteps. Hold fast to me, be who you were meant to be. Show by your life a tender care for this planet. Show by your life a gentle hand that heals. Show by your life that is Well, it's been a while since the last podcast. Uh, Part of the learning curve for me this first year with the new site has been realizing when the crunch times come. And I'm just coming out of one of those crunch times because in publisher world, the big push is six to eight weeks before the big conferences, because that's when all the projects need to go to press and get printed. Of course, NPM is next month in Raleigh, North Carolina, July 16th to 19th. And if you haven't registered to go yet, please do consider it because it's going to be a wonderful week. I will be one of the retreat leaders for a retreat day for women on Monday, the 15th of July. I'll be working with Lorraine Hess, Valimar Jansen, Meredith Augustine, and Sarah Hart. It will be a wonderful day of music and prayer and reflection, and you won't want to miss it. I know it's filling up fast, so while they will take on-site registration if there's still space, I'd recommend registering early. So check that out at npm.org, as well as information about the whole conference in Raleigh. Anyway, so a lot of stuff has gone to press and is coming off press and is getting ready for the convention. We have new collections, books, uh, Revival 2 is coming out. We have some new wedding music. Volume 8 of Paul Tate's Seasons of Grace piano collection is out. The Organist's Craft, which is the newest volume in the As Found in the GIA Quarterly series that I edit, that one's coming out. And of course, Lori True's new collection, Show by Your Life, inspired in great part by the writings and words of Pope Francis, has also just come out. That edition is in fact hot off the presses as I speak, and so it seemed like the perfect moment to release this podcast episode of a conversation I had with Lori last fall at the GIA Fall Institute, which by the way, if you can come this year, it's October 17th to 19th in Chicago. The Institute is just a wonderful, wonderful event, so I highly recommend it. Anyway, at that point, this collection was at the beginning of its production process, and Lori had just given a workshop at the Institute addressing the importance of singing about social justice and letting the words we sing as a community address the very real concerns of our world today. And she was kind enough to sit down and talk with me about her writing process, how she got here, 
um, just so many wonderful things. It was a great conversation. And so here it is, interspersed with excerpts from some of the songs from the new collection, as well as a few old favorites. We just heard, in fact, the first verse of the title track from her new collection, Show By Your Life. And as always, all of the music from all of our podcast is referenced, and you can find information about it on our website at singamen.giamusic.com. So please do stop over there and take a look. And now, Lori True. I send you with the grace of my spirit. Send you as companions of peace. I place you on the path that leads to endless joy. Go seek me in the least of these. Show by your life what my gospel requires. Show by Well, Lori, thank you so much for sitting down and talking to me. Um, we are here at the GIA Institute, and Lori has just this morning given a, just a wonderful presentation on social justice in music and how we can sing that part of the truth of our faith. And she was gracious enough after a concert last night and talk this morning to sit down and talk with me just about who she is and what she does and kind of to teach us a little. So hi, Lori. Hi. <laughs> uh, so I was wondering, if, can you just kind of give a, tell us a little bit about how you got into this? How did church music as a life's work, as a vocation, find you? Sure, I can. I began several years ago as a cantor, and my first sort of experience of that was from a music director that I was a part of her choir, and she said, now, Lori, you have a beautiful voice, and you're going to have to be very, very careful as you canter in your first weeks because we would never want anyone to think you were showing off. So my first experience is as a canter and someone who was called to lead the church in prayer was a very timid one on my part. And I was very, very aware that I didn't want anyone to think that I was showing off because that was, I at least knew this much that that was not what this was about. And not until the first Christmas Eve did I really know what my role was when I raised my hand and a beautiful sweeping blanket of sound came toward me without much effort on my part and I was I immediately knew let's get out of the way and let this people of God sing so while it was a a very odd way to start I sort of had to figure it out for myself because this was a director that didn't quite um, form me in the way that I would now form young people into to uh, do this important work. Can I ask how old you were when I you had was that early twenties? Wow! But from that point forward, I started to educate myself. This wonderful pastor that I um, was serving with came and sought me out and said, "We have let this music director go, and I want to mentor you <laughs> into becoming music director." And I said. I have a music degree, but I have no experience in leading a music program. And he mentored me really, really well. And um, so that was the beginning start. But as I grew um, as a woman of faith with, you know, the wisdom of life and living, I realized that there were a lot of things that it seemed that we weren't praying about and that it was same old same for me. 
And maybe this is growing up in a church in New England. That was the time that we lived in. And so um, as I met more and more people along the way, and as I started to study myself theology, I started to understand more of what my role could be. I was encouraged by really good mentors like David Haas and Marty Haugen to really start offering what my lens, my voice could offer to the, to the church at large. And I started with my first song being written as a lament Ooh. to God. It's Psalm 77, where are you God? Why have you abandoned me? And, uh, and went from there. And as I've grown over the years, I've realized that there are some amazing text writers, mostly women, that are calling us to think about church in so many profound ways. A place at the table, yeah. who is the alien? Those are texts that I did not write, but I certainly was drawn to by my own life experience and by the experience of women um, that I worked with that needed their voice to be heard. And I have to say both of those songs, did Shirley Renna Murray? Yes, do, that's A Place at the Table. A Place at the Table. And uh, Mel Brinkle did? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did Who Was the Alien? Yeah. But I could never in my mind now, I mean, yes, I've heard them and lived with them for years, but I couldn't imagine any other tune or melody or treatment to them that your melody melded with their text, you know, in a really integral way that... So you just named literally, I think, two of my favorite of your songs. Oh, so, <laughs> so. well, thank you. As I said, I yeah. like I said, I I sat with the text, um, and I and I had never ever seen anything quite like that. With who is the alien? As I started to read it, I started to sing it, which was really a unique sort of thing for me, anyway. Um, but and then I started to cry because it spoke to so many places in my own experiences that it it, it just resonated with with what. The, the people I love, the people I work with, really, really were aching for. And so, um, and most of the people I worked with at the time were young people. And so those were the first ones that I shared this with, you know, other than some of the mentors that I have. And they were like, yeah, this is, uh, this is, this is right in your face. And this is important for the church to pray.
That's kind of how I approach all of the music that I sing and that I write text for, is what, what are the people of God crying for? What, what is our country, our world aching for? Um, what kind of a voice counters some of the darkness that we are hearing on an almost daily basis? And um, Francis, Pope Francis, is one of those. And so in this newest endeavor of mine over the last four or five years, there's a lot of Pope Francis that you'll be hearing. Oh, um, good. Yeah, good. in my music. Yeah. So you use music of other text writers. Do you write a lot of your own texts as well? Yes, actually, I will have a new collection with GIA, and it will be called Show By Your Life. And I was really shocked when I finally got to the, to the end of the grouping of what I wanted to offer to notice that with the exception of a psalm, all of it is my own reframing of either scripture or um, some sort of a wisdom figure that has spoken to me, and that is Pope Francis. And so there's about five that are really driven by his amazing challenge and call to us as the people of God, show by our life being one. And it was shared um, originally from his 2013 trip to Argentina Mm -hmm. for the World Youth Gathering. And it has spoken to me for so that long since then. So I'm one of those weirdo geeks that kind of follows everything that he says. (laughs) Well, there's worse people to follow. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. But in today's world and in uh, what we're hearing so often, he's a great counter to that and an important voice for us. And then I think when I sit with his text, I, I mean, I'm praying, obviously, and I, and I'm just, it's just over and over and over again until it gets reshaped into a way in which my sort of feminine lens of life experience lets it flow out. And so it comes out in a very, as my friend David would say, Lorian sort of way. Well, it is, I mean, it is a very Lori kind of way, Lorian yeah. kind of way. And you I, say, I you hope say that Lorian, it is. and I think the DeLorean from Back to the Future. Oh, sure. But, uh, <laughs> but I, and I really do hope that it is because another thing that's really important to me and what I try to offer to the church is that it is my own voice, that it isn't um, something I've heard before, that it's, it's, it's uniquely me, but it's also in line with what we're called to offer for the church at prayer. So when I first started doing a lot of concerts and whatnot, people would come up after and say, oh, wow, I really love your music. It's so simple. And at first, I was taken back like, oh, God, I'm just, you know, writing in a very elemental or sort of way. But, um, but then I realized that that was really a good compliment to me because um, if I can keep it, using their words, simple enough that people are able to grasp onto it, but interesting enough and compelling text-wise enough for people to want to pray over and over again, then, then I feel like, okay, this is where I fit. Yeah. You know, others will fit with like beautiful choral pieces and that's just not my calling right now. And mine is just to write simply for the church at prayer. And that's what I really try to do. Yeah. Uh, oh, it was a really long time ago. I don't remember. I, the, NPM Composer School, way, way, way. In fact, it was back, I met Paul Tate at that. This was before Paul Tate was published. And, and I remember Marty talked about, you know, the difference between like elementary and elemental, mm-hmm. you know, that elemental music. And he talked about it as the goal that we're all going for as composers. You try and find that 
that seed, that core to the music that needs to be said. And it's not going to be dressed up with a lot of fancy things to make it sound, you mm-hmm. know, bigger than it is or make it complicated. But right. it gets down to the real important brass tacks of what you're trying to say musically, of what you're trying to say text-wise. So, Right, I would agree with that. Marty actually was the producer of my first collection. Oh. And so I learned a lot from him about going back editing, rewriting, editing, rewriting. A song is not done until it is totally done. And even then, it might not be done. It not be done. And it has to be shared with those that you trust, uh, like some of the choirs that I would work with, not to share for Eucharist or, or liturgy or whatnot, but to share among the, them to see if this is a singable piece and it's worthy of what the church needs. Because I think of it this way, just as I think of those who are liturgical planners, um, those who write music for the church are, are the ones that are putting on the very breath and heart and lips of the people of God what they'll be singing. And that is an awesome responsibility, not as in cool, but as in, as in it, it, you have to be courageous to want to do that. But it's also awesome and it's something that you do not ever take lightly. There's huge power in that. Yes, there yeah. is. And there's huge responsibility and yes. accountability. And, and it's an accountability to not only our, our guidelines for writing music um, and the judgments, the three judgments, but it's also a responsibility to what God is calling the church to now in these days. God's politics, so to speak, <laughs> um, and what they are calling us to in these days. And in the workshop that I offered this morning, which was the critical link between social justice and the music that we pray, there were folks that are constantly coming up against roadblock after roadblock in their community with leadership, not having the courage to allow certain ones of my songs or others who write in, from a real perspective of justice to be, to be shared by the people of God. And it was sad to me, but I encouraged them wholeheartedly to say, stay with it, bring your respect, bring your joy, bring your knowledge of what you know, of your community, of what the church is calling us to, and line up gospel after gospel that shows that this is what Jesus Christ has offered to the church. Show those teaching principles and say, this is our blueprint for what we're called, how we're called to live. If we don't sing music that's in line with how we're called to live, how will we ever change? And if everything we sing leaves us feeling very comfortable and happy and unchallenged, then we might not be saying much. I mean, the, right? We're yeah. not we're not meant to leave our liturgies feeling all warm and fuzzy, or we're not even meant to after the homily in that lovely break time between you know <laughs> word and meal to kind of take that that you know just sort of like gentle breath and be cozy in our pew yeah, we're meant to great? be f- aren't it yes. wonderful that we're here and i feel so good being with my community and yep. my lord and that's yep. it we're meant to be fidgeting <laughs> we're yeah. meant to be uncomfortable yeah. that when we get up to pray our universal prayer we're ready and we're we're honestly able to name the truth of what the prayers of the church need to be that's, that's why I think our, our universal prayers are so, so important for our community, and it should never be, well, I'll probably get in big trouble, but it should never be taken from a book. And I've done a lot of work on that part of our liturgy. It's, it's one of the places we can be 
creative and we should be freely utilizing that and calling you know for groups of the community to come together and and craft those prayers for our people it's their voice it's the opportunity the small slim slice in our liturgy where the voice of the people of god is meant to be raised up and we don't take advantage of that and it's the voice of the people it is the universal prayer but it's still the words come from this people, this time, this place, this exactly. day. Yep. Yeah. In light of what's going on, in light of what scripture shared. Absolutely. Right. Yes. Yeah. I'm with you. Another really important part of your work um, and your ministry has been uh, through mentoring other musicians. And it's interesting that, you know, when you started your story, some of it was really good positive mentors, but that one of your early mentoring experiences that it sounds like it formed you a lot was one almost like a negative mentoring. It's like, this is what I needed. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that that has moved you to go out and try and share that with others. How did you, how did you get involved? I mean, I know that, you know, Music Ministry Alive was... Mm-hmm. you know a huge part and that it has, has been a huge lifted up so I mean it's just it's had such yeah. the footprint that that program has had right. on liturgical music in this country is yes. you probably don't can't I mean you probably see more than a lot of people but even so I don't think I don't think we'll see it for a while you know because um, I see the fruits in people like Zach or Tony Alonso and and others um, Kate Williams mm-hmm. um but that's from years and years ago, and it's a program that's existed for 19 years and will continue in sort of different sort of ways into the future, which we're excited about. But that program I was involved with because of my work with David Haas. It was a dream that started with him, and he was gracious and generous enough to bring me along on this dream and not only, hey, come and sort all the papers, whatever, but dream with me and and Lori, you have gifts in liturgical planning and, and in creating things that are really beautiful and a variety of musical resources that you have come to learn over the years. And so my voice was a, definitely utilized. It was a part of that whole creativity. And I'm very, very grateful for that because it taught me to be a better person through working with all these young people and through mentoring them and also in the mentoring, listening and being respectful of what their wisdom had to offer 
help to form a better Lori, you know, a better person. I found myself wanting to be the best Lori I could be whenever I was with them. And that sort of like over the years um, generates a new transported way of being for me. I love seeing, especially on the college level where I worked at St. Catherine University in St. Paul, I loved seeing from year one till they graduated this major transformation and positive transformation of this young, shy woman who came before the community in one way and as she graduated was, was ready to take on in a beautiful way, in a very respectful leader way to take on the world and to be a small part of that and just keep these women in play and let them kind of like just be slightly guided by whatever I could offer and see them flower was so, so important. And it's so, so important on the parish level, too, yeah. that we don't wait until they're, quote-unquote, ready, or in our own heads, we think they're ready, but we bring them in young. I mean, one of the parishes that I worked with, there was, like, senior citizens and then young mothers having babies. So I had six, seven, eight-year-olds in a choir, and, and the elders were 60, 70, 80. Mm -hmm. And so nothing in between. And those young ones were the musical leaders. They were oh, the wow. best cantors um, I've ever had an opportunity to, to work with. And so we, we need to stop selling young people short. We need to sit and listen to young people because what they have to offer us is so, so important. I think Christ Let the Children Come to Me was like the most profound statement because if we do, um, and if we sit and listen, and we look them directly in the eye, and we're not thinking in our head what we think they'll say, we'll be so surprised. It'll be a great gift. When you said the process you know, made you want to be the best Lori you could be, and that even that is that's such a powerful, it's a powerful witness, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm, I'm teaching a conducting class in Neighborville right now, at juniors and seniors. And I said to them at one point early on about, you know, trying to find their style as, as conductors, as musicians. Um, and as I said, it, I was talking about music, but I was like, really, this is everything. I said, the hardest thing you will ever do as a musician is figure out, and this is your work, figure out who you are and then be that. Mm. And to be able to be that fully and authentically. And, mm -hmm. and I think maybe when we, start, when we start with children, when we start as children, who, if we can start with children who have not yet begun to really take on all of the stuff that tells them they're supposed to be someone they're not. Right. Um, I actually had two in my in my previous parish. I had there were two, no, two, a couple of parishes, um, kids that started with me in fourth grade in the children's choir, and mm -hmm. then sort of you know moved up into you know leadership, and then young cantors, and then they sort of took their place by the adult cantors by high school and went away to school and were music majors and came back and, mm -hmm. you know, have right. taken the, and have, have become yeah. music ministers, you know, sharing that with other people. And it's, yeah, it's so powerful to find them. Yes, and, and so important. And the thing is, it's the norm. You know, it's, there's nothing weird about this that all of a sudden we're, hey, we're going to form this youth choir, and there's been no formation prior to that. You're going to have a hard time. Right. Whereas you have this constant moving up in, in their wisdom and their age and getting into group after group after group. It's just, well, that's what we do, mm -hmm. you know? And I had that when I served in New Hampshire. Um, and, I, and it was just such a blessing to me. But then to have these 
young women in college. It's a whole nother animal, so to speak. And what's a really interesting phenomenon to me, and this is not a, a knock at any sort of particular music, but when these women would come and we'd sit down to plan, in their first year it started with a lot of the um, a lot contemporary praise music. But by the time they got to be sophomores and juniors, there was a depth about them that said, I want something a little bit deeper. I want something that is not only um, uh, addressing me and my relationship with God, but it's me and my relationship with God in the midst of the world that I find myself in. And that to me was just such a great sort of light bulb that I enjoyed seeing student after student after student. Yeah. And, and when it, you're talking about me and God in the midst of where I sit in this world, that's where those justice songs really spoke to them. And, and then they'd ask questions like, oh my gosh, they'd find out later, oh my gosh, you wrote that? What, you know, what have we done for the poor ones? This one young woman did as the backdrop to a whole big, huge presentation she did. And I only found out later. And she found out even later that this was a song that her friend gave her on YouTube, of course. <laughs> and I don't know who the composer is. And, um, and then when she found out that it was me, we had a great conversations about why this came to be, why it's important for the church to sing, and why she included it in her very powerful presentation. done for the stranger, outsider, the ones who are aching for welcome, acceptance, God's chosen people, blessed and holy. What have we done for the stranger here in our midst? So it sounds like for you, when you were younger, that that was what sort of drew you into composing in a large way, that you were hungering for some of that deeper music and looking around and it hadn't been written yet. Right. And so, right. yeah. Right. I knew there was more for us to, to be saying, or, or I, was leaving, I was leaving liturgy frustrated and I didn't, it took me a long time to be, be able to name what that was about. But the more I got involved, you know, as you get older, that great, those great, uh, like junior, senior, and then first year, second year college are the times when you're opened up to this big wide world beyond 
the voice or the view of your parents. Mm -hmm. And you're called to figure it out for yourself. And if there's only a limited pool of information or, or prayer that we're praying, then we're, we're sort of shortchanging our, our young church and, and our older church, but, mm -hmm. but particularly these young people. And so to have this wider view was really, really important to me. And, and I have seen the fruits of how it's been important to the young women that I've served. Before I let you go, I was wondering, and you've referred to, you know, your own your own ministry as a woman, and you know, and amplifying the voices of other women. I, I don't know. It seems to me there maybe are more men composers' names out there circulating than there are women. I, maybe it's just me, but um, so uh, can you can you talk a little bit about that, about what it's like? I mean, because really, among among liturgical composers, I mean, you are one of our torchbearers up well, there because you're out there and you're doing it and well, um, it's a there are some amazing women composers um, Jeanette Whitaker I mean she's oh, yes. doing wonderful work Suzanne Tulin speaks to me all the time in her music Barbara Bridge um, there are some a uh, Kate Cuddy Kate Cuddy yep and um, but but you're right there Del are Delridge of course yes sure. may she yeah. rest in peace well, so yes, there are plenty of men that are writing. And I would say there are plenty of men that are, are, are offering music to the church that are feminist. Mm -hmm. so, so that's really a beautiful thing as well because they do remember. But there is something unique about the, the men in the lens that, in which they write from and women in the lens in which we write from. And it's just, it's just different. It's not better or, or less than or more than. It's just different. And I have struggled through the years to come to this place because um, I did sometimes feel like it was an uphill battle just to be heard. And that, that's across the board. That's not just in liturgical music, oh, sure. but that's like the women's that's movement. Right. And, um, and fortunately, we have for our younger women, my daughters, sometimes they're like, what are you talking about? Because this isn't something that I experience. And I'm like, great, yeah. keep it going, you know? And, and, I'm, and I'm hoping we'll have a world that is more about who we are, regardless of who we are. But what I would say is that I would continue to c encourage young people. I'm always excited. There was a young woman at the workshop this morning who is not as tired as I am, who is 30 years younger than I am, who has a great passion for sharing. And she's, she's on the right path. I didn't start writing till I was 34 or 35, I think. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Wow. I'm a late bloomer. <laughs> I had a lot of life that needed to be lived, and I had to care for a very sick daughter for years. And um, through all that life experience, that's what fueled the, the, the cry that needed to get out for me. For this young woman, she lives in a world and in a time where um, there's a lot going on that um, her voice could give light to, could offer peace to, to our world. So um, I would just keep encouraging young women and women of every age to share their wisdom because we, we need a better balance. I would say that today. So to the person who man or woman, young or old, who right now is really, really tired or really, you know, dejected or in a place of not, not knowing where to go, not knowing how to move forward, wanting to offer their gifts, but just feeling tired. There's so much, and there's so much to, there's so much to despair about. I mean, let's face it, if you look around the world, there's plenty of reasons to give up and say, ugh. But 
we can't do that and we don't do that. And I know you don't do that. No. That's not what you're about. What, what, would you, what would you say to that person maybe to? I would say, I mean, you have to take it to prayer and you have to ask God and yourself the really important questions of, is this where my energy needs to be being spent? Is, is there another, is there anything else that's giving me life? Or I have to start paying attention to those moments um, throughout my day, throughout the norm, um, that give me life. And if I find them, then maybe that's where my energies need to be focused. That's number one. If I don't find them at all, then I need to get myself some help. <laughs> that's well, number two. Yes. Um, but, but for those who are feeling tired and discouraged, I would say to read the woman who stood before the judge and see what kind of a, a message God is sending to you in that. It's the persistent woman before the judge must have been tired. The judge certainly was tired of hearing from her. And, and read it, and then read it again, and then read it another day, and then read it another day, and see what kind of wisdom is speaking to you in the silence after you read it. Because then you'll, your answers will come. And if that's not the scripture for you, choose something else that you're excited about. You know, But that one is a, that one is a good one for me personally to use when I'm feeling kind of overwhelmed. Um, the Psalms are an amazing place for me to go when I'm feeling overwhelmed. There's so much in the arc of one Psalm that is about the lament, the anger, the, 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 the lashing out, the fight, the struggle, the joy. There's so much that is held in one Psalm that could really speak to the multitude of emotions we have throughout our day. And then in the end, choose joy. There are two ways to get out of your bed every day. And everybody, everybody has their own struggle. Everybody's got a story of darkness in their life. And you have to make the choice when you step out of your bed, will I choose joy or will I choose darkness? Choose joy. As my beloved holy ones chosen and claimed from your birth embrace a life that's true yield the goodness of my grace my favor rests on you with you I am well pleased come to me in prayer seek me deep within your heart in that place where you and I alone can dwell be still and pray hear the message of my word become who you are meant to be as my beloved holy ones chosen and claimed from your birth embrace a life that's true heal the goodness of my grace my favor rests
information, including details about the music you heard on today's podcast, please visit our website at singamen.giamusic.com. Sing Amen is produced and supported by GIA Publications.